Welcome and thank you for joining us here for the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship of Boise, Idaho. Bread and water is what we need and what we have in Jesus Christ. He said, come to me and drink. He said, I am the bread of life. However we adorn our Christian faith, it rests in this most basic thing. Christ is all. Let's learn from him. Let's learn about him. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. Judging by the continued popularity of the hymn Amazing Grace, it would seem that all people recognize the need for grace. However, Hebrews 13, 10-14 makes it clear that grace can only be found in the right place. You must find it at an altar, but not at the altar of religious sacrament and genuflection, nor at the altar of your own performance and law. The altar is moved to the foot of a cross, where one bled and died in your place. And only bowing there will you find grace. There is no fellowship and communion with God when you stand over laws and rituals and you turn away from the reality of Christ and His provision. By the way, why do people do this? The fact is that the default mode of human beings is to put our faith in our own efforts to save ourselves. It's to put our faith in our own activities. And so the Jews began to believe that the sacrificial system and the laws that God had given to Israel in order to prepare them for the salvation he was going to bring to them was actually, by their own efforts and by their own meticulous care and following them, the means of their own salvation. It was their effort and their exercise. They took what God had provided and God had given in order to direct them towards what he was going to provide, and they thought instead that by their own actions and following these things, they had, in a sense, provided for themselves the means of being made right with God. God had said, now you bring a lamb and you bring it to the place of sacrifice and and you recognize that your sins in a sense have been transferred to that lamb and, and then you put that lamb to death and you recognize that that lamb is dying in your place because death is required for your sins and you know a lamb can't take away your sins. You long for me to make the provision for you. Instead they began to think, you know, I raised this lamb. I took care of this lamb. I traveled with this lamb this place. I used some of my own good money to buy a better lamb because the one I brought was a little flawed. And It's my lamb and it's my offering and it's my sacrifice and I'm made right by it. There's no grace in that. That's the way that the mind goes. The mind goes and the heart goes and the flesh goes to our own activity thinking that by following rules and laws and rituals that we can be made spiritually right with God. And The Israelites were doing this with the sacrificial system, but they were also doing it with the moral law that God gave them. And this also illustrates it. God had given them the Ten Commandments, and along with the Ten Commandments, God had given them clarification on laws based on what they were to eat and on things that would help them remain ceremonially clean before God. And out of all these laws, they added more laws, and they created a system of ethics and rules and behavior through which they thought They could make themselves clean, and they could make themselves right with God. They didn't understand. They lost a perspective. In the same way that they lost a perspective on what the temple sacrifices were for, seeking to establish their own righteousness through them by their own efforts, they did the same thing with the law. God had given them this law in order that the law would be a mirror to reveal to them their own sinfulness, in order that before the law, they would find out that they were lawbreakers. 
And before that law, they would sense their need for a God who would bring them mercy and salvation because they knew they weren't right before God before that law. But instead, they twisted the law and they made all kinds of rules and regulations thinking that they could be made clean by following the law. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 expresses the truth that this doesn't work. It says, by the works of the law... No human being will be justified in his sight, in God's sight. Since through the law comes just the knowledge of sin. It shows me what a sinner I am. I can't keep it. God gave the moral law to show the people of Israel and us our need of God to save us because it revealed to us our utter sinfulness. These laws, as we said, were more like mirrors showing us how unclean and sinful we are before God so that we would look to Him for salvation and we'd cry out to Him for mercy and we'd repent of ourselves and our own efforts at self-absolution before Him. You ever washed your face before a mirror? You do it all the time, right? When your children were little, they came in and their face was dirty. You told them to go and wash their face. They came back from the bathroom and they had a smudge in the middle of the forehead. You said, go back and look at yourself in a mirror and wash your face. They went back and they looked in the mirror and they saw the smudge in the face. And they, they washed themselves before a mirror. We do it all the time. Have you ever washed your face with a mirror? Just taking the mirror and just kind of, you know, your face was dirty. You took the mirror and just kind of rubbed your face all over that mirror, right? Would it work? You just smudge the dirt all over your face and you'd smudge dirt all over your mirror and both of them would be tarnished and it's silly. It wouldn't work at all, but that's what people do with the law. They think, ah, I'm going to obey these rules. I'm going to follow this rule. And I'll be right before God. This will make me clean. I know I've done things wrong, but this will clean me up. Give me that mirror. Give me that mirror. I'll do it. I'll follow it all. It doesn't work. You defile both. You misuse it. You take the law, and you would sense establish it as an altar that you go to to establish your own self-righteousness. You take the rituals, the spiritual rituals that you follow, the religious acts you follow, some prayer you pray, uh, maybe it's the prayer of serenity that you pray every single day, you know, maybe it's just some little prayer you pray before you go to bed at night, or some good thought or positive thought you have about people when they cut you off in traffic, you know, instead of getting real mad, I'll just think some positive thoughts, or whatever it is, you do it, and you think this is my spiritual activity that makes me right, and it becomes an altar that you go in order to establish your fellowship with God, and it doesn't work. It's worthless. It's an abuse of their purpose. If you go to those altars, and if you think in any way before ritual or moral performance that you can meet God and have communion with God and be in right fellowship with God, you're in the wrong place. Take some vow. You know, I'm going to make myself up. I'm just not going to swear anymore. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to give up this one habit I have. And then God will receive me. You're at the wrong altar. You won't have a right to have fellowship with God. You're in the wrong place. And you have no right to eat in communion with God or claim relationship with Him there. You'll find no grace there. You'll only find condemnation. And by the way, let me make an application to Christians. Christian, in God's saving grace... You have come to Him. You've laid your hand on Jesus Christ as your sacrifice for sins. And through Jesus Christ and His death on your behalf and His resurrection, you've been brought into Him by faith in Him and His provision. You've been brought into joyous fellowship with Him. 
And he's opened up his life to you so that you can feed upon him. You remember Jesus said, my body is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. You come and you feast upon me. You found his life to be the thing that sustains you and empowers you. We said last week that the grace of God is the activated love of God pouring himself out upon us through the cross. That it comes to us undeserved and unmerited but provided through what Christ has done on the cross. But if you get it twisted in your mind and you begin to think that once having established your life through Jesus Christ and the cross, that now you're going to prove yourself to God and you're going to prove your Christian life by your own efforts and by your own cunning and by your own strategies, if you think that you can prove yourself worthy of God's fellowship by your good deeds or your good thoughts or your fleshly strategies to make yourself right or to get yourself in a better situation before Him and that you can use the way that you've always planned and navigated your life and your strategies to get what you want and to get in the place where you think you're all right, instead of resting in your relationship with God solely upon the sacrifice of Jesus Christ alone and on the basis of His merits alone to provide for you your righteousness, His righteousness given freely to you when you repent and you believe in Him, if that's not the way you're approaching it, if you're approaching it with any idea that somehow you've got to make up the difference with your life, you will not find grace to live the beautiful life that God has for you. The grace that God wants to pour out before you is found at the altar God has provided for you, and that altar is the cross of Jesus Christ where He died for your sins, where He took into account that your righteousness was nothing but filthy rags, and He offered up in your place His perfect life. And you only find grace for yourself. Grace to live as he would have you live as you come and you throw yourself and you cast yourself and you rest yourself completely in that gift. You'll not find grace for your own self-effort, for your own attempt to prove your moral worth over somebody else, to make you stand right before God. You'll not be in the right place. You'll not have the privilege in that moment of eating of him and partaking of his life you'll not find that his life is food indeed and his blood is drink indeed. The non-Christian is always living before the wrong altar of works and their own spiritual performance. They always are. But the Christian who has come to Christ may find that he has wandered to a wrong place and before the wrong altar when they default to think that their standing with God rests in their performance. And there's no grace given to them in that situation. And there's no fellowship for them to find for themselves in that situation. The one who goes there has no right to eat in fellowship with God, nor can they in that place. This is our second point, by the way. The location of the altar where God has met has changed. Christ has established an altar for us outside the ground of the law. It is now found the foot of the cross. As we said, the grace of God is the activated love of God poured out on us unmerited through the cross of Jesus Christ. And to know the full measure of that grace, that saving grace of God, that grace that brings us into a restored relationship with God, that allows us to know the grace of God's forgiveness and God's peace, the freedom of a conscience that no longer feels the condemnation of its sin, companionship with God, 
spiritual wholeness before God, spiritual vitality and the promise of unending life, the ability to swim and to live and to move and breathe within the context of that unmerited grace through this lamb. You can only find it when you go to the altar of his cross. You must claim all that you receive and all the grace you receive by laying your hands upon his head and recognize that he's the lamb who's died in your stead and fully identifying with his suffering as the suffering you deserve, claiming his death as your death, receiving his life as your only hope of life. This is all open for you, but it's open for you only at the altar of the cross. That's why Christians and the Christian church can never and will never get away from this altar. It's the reason why there are crosses before our buildings or there are crosses that are represented inside of our building. We preach beneath this cross. We live beneath this cross. It's our altar. It's the place where God pours out His grace upon us. We can never leave there. It's been our privilege through the years to offer the Treasure Valley the ministry of the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, Executive Director of the International Missions Ministry, Church Partnership Evangelism. I moved to Boise with my family over 21 years ago to give leadership to a ministry I partnered in beginning in Canada in 1989. While establishing our international work from Boise, we also formed a small fellowship whose heart was to be all about promoting missions from our community to the ends of the earth. You might know that local fellowship as the Bread of Life Fellowship Church. It's been a blessing to be a part of a local ministry that gives almost all its income to support the work of missions and evangelism around the world. To learn more about church partnership evangelism and to help support that work, please go to cpeonline.org. Or if you're interested to learn more about a fellowship birthed around missions, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until our next broadcast, God bless you.